now. Today we're continuing our witness series, and we're looking at the, um, uh, this is going to be the third part of a witness to God's voice. I had the privilege earlier this week of sitting down and interviewing Stephanie Hartley, and she's going to share her story with us just now. So, Stephanie, thank you for agreeing to be interviewed today. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Um, so, yeah, I'm Stephanie. Uh, 19, I've been coming to this church for about 12 years, and I've just started uni. Brilliant. Whereabouts in uni? Uh, Edinburgh University. Now, you've got a story about how you've witnessed God's love at work in your life. Yeah. Do you want to share that with us? Um, so, yeah, it really started, like, the last two years of high school. I'd always wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, and I got good grades, but not the best grades. So I knew I wasn't going to get it. So I joined a program that would get me into, like, workplaces called Career Ready. And I was given a mentor called David, and he's really great. And um, for about a month, I would be taken into King's Buildings to work in the labs as a lab assistant, working on beetles and insects. Um, so, yeah, it was just to see if I wanted to go into biology instead. And I went for it. I was like, yes, I'm going to do biology. And I got a place for zoology and infectious diseases at Edinburgh. And then about two weeks before I was to start, I was terrified. And um, I just, like, I couldn't do it. Um, but I went to transition day. Um, just because maybe that was why I was frightened. Transition day came around, and I was still terrified. And on the second day, I can said, pray about it. Um, Jesus will give you um, an answer. So I went in, um, and I was stressed, obviously. So I like to doodle when I stress, because I can't read anything. Um, reading is just an awful thing. I can read the words, but the words don't make sense. So there was me doodling some lovely pictures, not paying attention. Poor woman at the front just letting me go at it. And um, so I prayed during that time. And I realized I wasn't drawing anymore. I was writing words. And I couldn't read the words, so I was writing letters. Um, so I kept in my pocket because it might have been important, and I carried on doodling. And then in the car, I handed the note off to Agnes, who's my mom, wonderful person, love her. Um, and she read the note, and it went, um, drop out of zoology, learn Korean, take English literature, and teach English as a second language in Korea. And that is just out of the blue. I was not, I was interested in like Korean movies at that time, not the language, not the culture, not moving there. And then suddenly here it is written on paper and I was thrilled with it. Like I was so happy, I wasn't terrified. So I dropped out two weeks before I was supposed to start, got a job. Um, learnt the language a bit of it and that's where I am now a lot happier and you're back at university yes so that's me started English literature instead of zoology wow and how are you finding your classes um they're very interesting 
Um, but because they're all online, I was a bit scared of how that would go. And although there was a couple of glitches, it went surprisingly well and I'm enjoying it. So you prayed about, you, you weren't sure about zoology and infectious diseases and you prayed yeah. mm. and unbeknownst to you, you started writing this stuff down on a bit of paper. Yeah. So do you have a, I take it you have a sense that God was guiding you there? Yes, because there was fear when it came to zoology and the plan I had to like be a scientist. Um, but when I thought of going to Korea, there was no fear. And I knew that there wasn't any fear in God. And the fact that I wasn't scared of going to a different country when I can't even go to the shops without getting a chum, like, says a lot. So you've got a sense that, um, that God might have that as a purpose for your life? Yeah. So it wouldn't just be to um, teach English. Um, because about a month or so after, I was told, right, go to South Korea, like, teach English. Um, I kept on getting North Korea as well, but I know there's like North Korean defectors that yes. go to South Korea, yes. and I also know that I'm meant to help out there. Wow, so. that's incredible. Mm. That's amazing. And is there anything else that you'd like to share? Is there anything else on your heart to share just now? Definitely pray about it. Like Right, so if you're not sure, pray. Pray about it. And, like, get a pencil and, like, piece of <laughs> paper. That. You might need that. Yeah, write down what you hear. Mm. Wow. That's amazing. Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I want to talk to you about a principle this morning which is going to relate to Stephanie's story, relates to Harvest as well. And that's about this. It's about fruit tree faith. Fruit tree faith is a very particular thing. Um, oftentimes at Harvest, we think about uh, the, the grain harvest, and obviously the combines have been around, and many of us, have we've been traveling across Mid and East Lothian, have seen uh, the farmers and moving the grain off of the fields, harvesting it, storing it. And, and it's a very real reminder of where our food comes from. But a grain harvest, of course, needs to be planted year on year. It was a couple of years ago at our youth service. Um, Darius had come up to me, and, and there were tears in his eyes. And he's, he, he was blown away by the youth service because he said, you've got like three generations of young people there. There's Ross, and then there's the folks who've come up under Ross, like Joel and folks like that, and then there's folks under that as well. And he says, you haven't settled for a grain harvest here. You've, you've held out for a fruit tree harvest. And that meant an enormous amount to me because that principle of the, to get a grain harvest, you sow each year and you reap each year, and then you have to re-sow. With a fruit tree, uh, it's much more difficult. You, f you have to sow the seed and then wait for, the, for the, um, the tree to grow. You have to nurture it, look after it. But once that tree is established, that tree will crop year on year on year on year. And that's what fruit tree faith is about. It's about the allowing the Holy Spirit to build things within us 
and within our church that start to yield and yield and yield year on year on year. There's the very first psalm, which is a psalm that's very dear to me. Many of you have had a birthday card from me will have had this psalm quoted on it. This is Psalm 1, the very beginning of the book of Psalms. And Psalm 1 is uh, it, it's a description of how fruit tree faith comes about. Let's read it together. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that blows, that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Here's a description of that seeking after God, of, of a life that's soaked in God's ways, in His law. I mean, obviously, the psalm, psalmist here is writing from the perspective of being a Jew, of allowing God's law and His precepts and the story of God's faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all of, all of their ancestors, that that is what shapes their life. And instead of looking to get personal gain or seeking to get one over on their neighbor, instead they're focused on a life that's full of God's love and God's purposes. And that person is described as being like a tree planted by the water who yields its fruit in season and whose leaves will never wither, that whatever they do may prosper. I remember that we had, uh, um, when Diane and I were first married, we stayed in a farm cottage out at Middle Whitborough, which is a farm just between Pathhead and Falla. And our next-door neighbor was the gardener. There was, there was so much gardening to be done that, that there was a full-time gardener. And I was chatting with him once, and he was talking about fruit trees. And he says, you maybe notice in an old orchard that the, um, the fruit trees will be in a dip in the ground. And he says, that's because the traditional thing to do would be to put a dead donkey into the hole in the ground, a donkey that had passed away, and then you'd plant the fruit tree on top, and that donkey carcass would feed the tree throughout its life. And that's why as, as everything decomposed, it sat down. Apparently, the origin of the phrase, drop the dead donkey. But anyway, we will see. I'm not sure. That, don't take that as gospel. I'm sure Google will help you out. But that's what they used to do when they planted trees, that they did something right at the beginning of that tree's life that would guarantee its fruitfulness throughout the decades to come. Many of you will also know the legends about Johnny Appleseed, who traveled around the tracks of, of the New World planting apple seeds that he took from his apples and the, for years to come. 
There were apple trees lining the ways so that there was food for people who were traveling from one place to another. It's a tremendously um, uh, giving thing to do to plant a tree, especially a tree that's going to yield fruit. And fruit tree faith's like that. It's where we make decisions right at the start of something, or we make investments now, make decisions now, choices now that will yield things much, much later on. Paul, in an important part of of his ministry, was wanting to go one way, but for reasons that we do not know, the Holy Spirit sent him in another direction. When we had a look at Acts chapter 16, when we were working through the entirety of the book of Acts a while ago, we didn't look at this story, but I want to look at it just now. We read about it in Acts chapter 16. Let's read this together. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the Word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul, who was a native of Antioch, that Asia Minor, sort of the area of Turkey and Syria, all that sort of area, um, that was where he came from. And his desire was to preach the gospel in those areas. And the gospel was preached in those areas. But what God wanted from Paul was to take the trip across the Bosphorus and leave Asia and move into Europe. For Macedonia, of course, is a part of Greece. And the next places that Paul would go to preach the gospel, we can look at them here. Um, Mysia, Phrygia, those places are maybe not so well known to you, but Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, and Corinth. Those were the next stops on Paul's journey. He went to Philippi, where the jailer um, came to faith after the earthquake and the prisoners didn't run away when uh, Silas and Paul were worshiping God in chains. Thessalonica, well, we've got the letter to the Philippians. We've got two letters to the Thessalonians. Paul then goes to Athens and has that exchange with the philosophers on the Areopagus. And then he goes to Corinth. And the two Corinthian letters are are substantial pieces of work. We learn a lot about what the early church believed about Jesus, and our own faith has been shaped by the letters to these churches. So Jesus stops Paul from going up into the north of what we would now call Turkey and sends him across into Greece and from Greece all the way to what would be um, modern-day Italy. There's this extraordinary missionary journey goes on, and that seeded churches that would then produce fruit for generations to come. Fruit tree faith. Fruit tree faith. Indeed, if we look in the law of the Lord, if we go back to Leviticus, to the rules that were given to the Jews, what happened to fruit trees is actually a part of the law. In Leviticus 19, we read this, 
When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering the praise to the Lord. But the fifth year you may eat of its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. You might be wondering where I'm going to go with this. Um, those laws were given for good reason. Obviously, the Jewish people were living um, in the Middle East. The soils can be bad there. They're, they're not that good. You need to look after the soil. You need to do that in this country too. And by allowing the first three years of fruit to fall, what was happening was that the, um, the fruit was nourishing the roots again. It was rotting down. The fourth year, then you give thanks to God by offering it to Him, and that helps support the priests. And then the fifth year, you can take the fruit. So just think for a moment, if God was to do something in your life today or ask you to do something today, but it wasn't going to take place for five years. You wouldn't see the benefit of it for five years. And are you prepared to make those choices? A little difference now can make a huge difference later on. And that's what this Scripture speaks to us, that notion of fruit tree faith, that not only will it yield a crop many times what's been sown, but it will continue to yield that crop year on year on year on year. Because fruit tree faith leads to a fruit tree harvest. Indeed, you get to the point where young fruit trees will just start to grow around from the, what's fallen nearby, and indeed the birds will help out by eating some of the seeds and depositing them with a little bit of fertilizer elsewhere. It's a very, very productive thing, a fruit tree. Fruit tree faith, trusting in God to build things in us that will last for the long term, will lead to a fruit tree harvest. A good church family is built with fruit tree faith. That the decisions we make as to how we love one another, the things that we do for one another, how we relate to one another, taking time to dig into God's Word and hear God's Word for one another, all of that can yield to fruit tree harvest. Fruit tree faith often also comes with, um, sometimes people will say to me, why shouldn't I buy a lottery ticket? And I'll say, well, if you take that money, I mean, half of that money is going to disappear in prizes straight away. But if you take that money and give it to a good cause, give it to a charity, give it to… The, then that money will work away. It will help build something that may make huge differences in the future, which are much more significant than any imaginary winnings that you may get from the lottery. And indeed, in doing that, we're trusting in God to multiply the little thing that we've done. A bit like we were talking about, about the packed lunch at the, har uh, the um, gala service last week. Just a one little packed lunch. Jesus shows what can be done with not just five loaves and two fishes, but what can be done with faithful gratitude for God's, give, God, God's goodness. It can feed a multitude. And that same spirit that was at work in Jesus is at work in us. So fruit tree faith leads to a fruit tree harvest. Earlier on, we were giving thanks for one year of life for baby Isla. Now, if 
Lindsay and John take time to build in the stories of God's love and faithfulness, to pray for her, to make sure that she grows up within the church family, even as we baptized her Christmas time last year. If they make those investments bit by bit by bit, then Isla's going to grow up with a rock-solid, firmly rooted fruit tree faith. And extraordinary things will happen in and around her as that investment is being made. Fruit tree faith. You think about what Stephanie was sharing. There she was. She was going to do zoology um, and infectious diseases. Some of you are going, yippee. Some of you are going, why would you study that? But we need people who know about infectious diseases, do we not? But that wasn't the way for Stephanie. And there she is, terrified at the thought of going in that year, and she's doodling, and unbeknownst to her, God is speaking to her, speaking to her about what to do. And now she's taking English literature, she's studying Korean, and she's studying Mandarin. So, um, Callum Tate, if you're out there, you can return the favor by coaching her in that as she was coaching you for some of your subjects earlier on. That thing about going to Korea to teach English as a second language, I mean, it's just like God downloaded that to her. And who knows? Well, we kind of do know. But as Stephanie lives through her life, that change of direction right now is going to yield fruit for years and years and years to come. Unexpected things, people to meet, situations to work in, even that notion that um, Stephanie was sharing about working with, um, working with uh, people who have come from North Korea, refugees from North Korea, although I'm reminded every time I say that, the Koreans don't like talking about North and South Korea. It's Korea. It's been divided. And we long and pray for the North to know the freedoms that the South has enjoyed. If, if you want a, a, a chilling understanding of the difference between the North and the South of Korea, look up a satellite photograph at night. And the South of Korea is full of lights. It's been developed. It's, it's, a, it's a Western nation in, in, uh, in the Far East. You can see the lights of the cities and the roads and the trains. In the north, you can barely see a pinprick. And Sonny herself was uh, one of the first pastors to take her under, take her under his wing, was from North Korea. We we pray for God's blessing for those. There's, there's stories are being told that very few of us know about about what's happening in North Korea. But the prayers of the church in the south and in the north, the prayers of Christians around the world, that the, that that despotic dictatorship in the north would break, we will see that happen by God's grace. And the rise of the church in the south of Korea has just been astonishing. And so, perhaps we send Stephanie off into that. Fruit tree faith for a fruit tree harvest. And of course, earlier on, we were talking about Chick and Ellen and their diamond wedding anniversary. Here's the, here's the picture of Chick and Ellen. There we go. Chick and Ellen's wedding anniversary, 60 years, and the most fruitful years of their life, faith-wise, 
of being the most recent one. And it's hard to imagine the life of this church without them, but actually it's, it's only 20 years ago. They got to the Ruby wedding anniversary before Jesus really got a hold of Ellen. And then it just took a wee while longer to get Chick. But what a difference that has made. And the faithfulness of that couple, I'm telling you, without going into details, they understand about good sowing and sowing for a fruit tree harvest. And may the Lord have saved the best years to last for you, Chicken Ellen. So this harvest Thanksgiving, I want us to focus on those areas. What's God calling us to do? There's never anything too small, too insignificant. If you have some sense that God is guiding you in a certain way, asking you to do something, wanting you to give a gift, wanting you to sow into someone else's life a word of encouragement, perhaps some help, but perhaps you've just got a sense to cook a pot of soup and take it round to someone. Whatever it may be, those small seeds, those small seeds can lead to a fruit tree harvest. And my prayer for you and for me this day is that we would ask the Lord of the harvest who sends workers out into the harvest to make us all like a tree planted by the water that yields its fruit in season and whose leaves will never wither. This harvest thanksgiving, may we have faith on that scale as we figure out in this exile of lockdown what it is to, to follow faithfully and to be a disciple and to be a church, may we seek God for that guidance. And may we bear fruit, loads of fruit, in the years to come. May we pray.